Good morning, everybody, and those of you watching online as well. Um, it was a great event. Thank you for so many of you. I think 150 volunteers, uh, including kids who were volunteers and students who were volunteers and adults who took time off uh, from their jobs as well as from just so many other activities that are calling for them. So thank you so much. It was a, it was a great week, great week around here. Well, we are in a 10-week series. I think we're in week five of our 10-week series on Matthew 8 through 9. It's a series we're calling Meeting Jesus. And the big idea of the whole series is that meeting Jesus is a transformative encounter that redirects us in a new and exciting direction. And today's encounter is, again, like last week, different than all the other ones that happen, because uh, there's this whole series of encounters uh, in chapters 8 and 9. This one's very different because it's an encounter between Jesus <clears throat> and demons. And so uh, it's the first description uh, or any detail of exorcisms in the Gospel of Matthew. Up to this point, we're told uh, more than once that Jesus had exorcised demons. This is the first time that it actually tells a story about that. So in this account, demons, a multiplicity of demons, meet Jesus. Then the demons, interestingly, answer the question that disciples ask at the very end of the previous passage. The disciples had asked, what kind of man is this? He calmed the storm. And they say, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And the demons actually answer that question. And so, for the very first time in the story, people who have uh, witnessed what, what actually happens after Jesus exercises demons is that, very, for the very first time, people who have actually witnessed the power of Jesus, the delivering, miraculous power of Jesus, instead of wanting to follow him or instead of uh, asking him to come and be with them for a longer period of time, for the very First time people ask him to go away, to get away from that region. Jesus teaches his disciples, us included, to pray, deliver us from the evil one. And you might say that the people in this town pray, do not deliver us from the evil one. So my goal today is that we'll all pray, deliver us from the evil one with greater Frequency, urgency, and desperation uh, after, after today. So by desperation, I mean that sense that we recognize that without God delivering us from the evil one, we are in trouble. So let me remind you what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul locates our greatest opposition not in people or in political parties or in earthly rulers, he locates them in an unseen realm, an unseen spiritual realm. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. If you uh, want to use one of the Bibles from the seat rack in front of you, 
Uh, it is on page 973, and we're using the new international version if you're following along on your phone. Now, while you turn in your Bibles, I want to remind you that understanding the Bible doesn't have to be a mystery. It tells the story of God, and understanding our part in God's story doesn't have to be a mystery either. I also want to remind you that as we continue to work our way through the Gospel of Matthew and the things that Jesus said, there are people possibly in your life who are having conversations with you about spiritual matters. Maybe they don't know Jesus personally, but they might be interested in learning more about him. So invite them to come to this series, invite them into the life of our church family. So let's pray together as we prepare to hear God's word. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may meet Jesus, be transformed by him, and follow him wherever he leads for the sake of your glory and your worldwide mission. All right, let's follow along as some five oakers read our passage. Matthew 8, 28 through 34. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarens, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. Demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off and went into the town and reported all of this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed man. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. All right, I want to show you three reasons why we need to pray that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. We need to pray, deliver us from the evil one and why we need to do it with greater frequency, urgency, and desperation. And the first reason is the evil one is real. The evil one is real. Now, I completely understand the temptation of some, some Christians that might see the demonic in passages like this and might see it as really just a way of talking about to people in that time, to talking to them about mental illness. The idea would be that Jesus, and they might explain that Jesus and God would work within that society's understanding of mental illness, that Jesus would use their terminology, their anthropology, their cosmology, um, their uh, understanding of, of all those kinds of things in order to explain that Jesus actually can deliver us from our problems our mental health problems, those kinds of things, that the passages aren't intending to teach that there are actually spiritual beings or demons or demonization, that sort of thing. And I get it, but I don't think it's a valid approach uh, in this case, and it may actually even be spiritually, and in other ways, dangerous uh, to approach it this way. So from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible, and everywhere in between, it describes an unseen realm populated by spiritual beings, 
Now, before, I, before I go on with it, just, just think, there's hardly any legitimate reason to believe that the unseen realm, what it says about the unseen realm and spiritual beings applies only to God, but everything else is fictitious in some way. Just doesn't, doesn't really make sense. It doesn't speak of God as the only spiritual being that exists. And it directly teaches, directly teaches that these beings exist and influence world events and daily life and individual lives. Just think of this passage from Ephesians. The point it's making is clearly that we need to be aware and stand strong against spiritual beings and spiritual evil forces. That's its intent. That is what it is exactly teaching us. It simply can't be understood as a way of talking about psychological problems or just political forces or economic power structures or that sort of thing. I think, um, I think that most of us here, I'm, I'm, I'm certain of this, think that it would be dangerous to deny that mental illness is real. Most of us here, if not all of us, would not like reduce anything that is an expression of mental illness and just reduce it down into something that is just spiritual and needing maybe to confess sin and just, just pray and whatever your problem is will hopefully go away if God moves in that way. Uh, I don't think that there are very many people in our congregation that would uh, say you should never take medication for mental illness and you should never seek therapy. I think most of us, if not all of us, understand that the brain is an organ of the body like any other organ, and it can malfunction just like any other organ in our body. So to ignore the reality of that, I think all of us would say that would be dangerous. For people, not good. For people, hazardous for people. So we might say that saying that all of our problems are purely spiritual in nature is ignorantly simplistic and reductionistic. It just, it just gets, it takes something that's really complex and turns it into something really simple that doesn't really describe everything that's going on. But I want to suggest that it might be equally simplistic and equally reductionistic. Um, to deny that there are personal evil beings in the unseen realm. To kind of just move that out is a form of, of simplicity and reductionism that is not legitimate. Christianity teaches that there's more going on in the world than what meets the eye. It never excuses evil actions like you can't... Um, you can't say the devil made me do it, or he couldn't help it, you know, the devil made him do it or her do it. But it also acknowledges the struggle and battle with evil's power to tempt us and to influence us. If we ignore the evil one, his ability to deceive us, and the way that he can actually infiltrate culture and systems, we're all more vulnerable if we ignore that. C.S. Lewis wrote about a concept he coined, chronological snobbery. So chronological snobbery refers to the belief that current ideas, 
whatever current is, um, because this can happen in any, any century. Our current ideas, our customs, our values are superior to those of the past simply because they're more recent. It's biased against the past. It's ignorant of the wisdom and insights of past generations. It assumes that we've progressed in all ways beyond past generations. So ideas about the spiritual realm are from the past, and somehow we have moved beyond them. So when we have this kind of perspective, what ends up happening is we lose a lot of the wisdom of the past, including the wisdom of the Bible regarding spiritual beings. The reality is we're not so smart. <laughs> we're not so smart these days that we can categorically dismiss the unseen realm that the Bible describes for us. During the, um, during the 19th century, 1800s, there was this, this thing that historians talk about uh, that they have coined the, um, the myth of progress. It was just this belief that a lot of people had that things are just, we're just progressing to the place where, where we, can, we can do away with war and we can understand each other and we can kind of manage our social systems in such a way that the future is so bright. And this was really prevalent in the 19th century. Then the 20th century came and it was the most deadly, destructive, war-ridden century. More people died in the 20th century than in any other century in human history. I mean, millions, tens of millions of people. And it kind of shattered that bubble of this, this myth of pro progression. Um, I just wonder if sometimes we still have, uh, that we have that same kind of thinking today with regard to understanding, whether it be our brains, neuroscience, all these kinds of things, that we have this kind of understanding. And, and then a pandemic comes, and we can't agree on what we're supposed to do and how it spreads and the best that we can get from scientists are probabilities. Have you ever, have you checked the weather reports lately? <laughs> I, I mean, it's, I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, it's like 0% chance of rain. It's raining right now. It's <laughs> raining right now. You know, um, if, if, you look at a weather report to get an idea as to whether, if, if you need it not to rain, and it says 0% chance of rain, it is going to rain. You know, you can't trust it at least. Uh, I have friends that, you know, will, will look out, you know, the, the nine-day, ten-day forecast or whatever, and I've, I've got a friend that says, you know, they say after, you know, like three days, it's all guesswork. This minute is guesswork these days. I, I don't know what's going on in the atmosphere, but they can't figure it out. And I definitely don't understand the percentage thing because it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense whatsoever. So I just wonder, do we really think we're that smart? That we've got this really that well figured out that we can categorically dismiss a realm 
of possible reality that the Bible talks about and that really every society on earth in the past has believed in and seen evidence of. Okay, here's the thing. Chronological snobbery regarding the unseen spiritual realm isn't something out there believed by secularists. It's something in here and in here, really in every single one of us. I'm guessing that if you went and if you look at the resource section in the uh, sermon application guide, and you went and you watched the, I think it's six videos on spiritual beings that the Bible Project has, that's just trying to pull together what the Bible says about the unseen realm, that if you listen to the podcast where they're talking about it, where Tim Mackey, the theologian, goes, I've resisted this for a long time because it just is so weird, (laughs) and it's hard to believe. And I would guess that most of us watching that, you know, even people like myself with advanced theological degrees, that kind of a thing, there's so much in the Bible that we haven't studied and we don't even know because it's just, well, we don't talk about such weird things. We don't get it. And kind of it, it goes against our modern sensibility. So this idea of chronological snobbery isn't just something that is um, out there. It's something that is in here. Now, now granted, part of our resistance to it is concerns that we may misunderstand it and, and go off in crazy ways. We've seen people go off in crazy ways, okay? So it's, it's legitimate to be a little bit concerned and to be a little bit careful, okay? It's legitimate, but we kind of, in our minds, we just write it off and we just push it aside and we really don't take it, we don't take it very seriously. But the evil one is real, and if the evil one is real, then we need to pray, as Jesus told us to pray, for deliverance from the evil one. And we need to do it frequently, and we need to do it urgently, and we need to do it with that sense of desperation, knowing that without God, um, we don't stand a chance. Here's the second reason why we need to pray, deliver us from the evil one. Because the evil one is wicked smart. I lived in Massachusetts for nine years, and it would be said there, wicked smart, wicked smart. You still use the word wicked. I mean, it just, there's something about New England. Um, ways of talking just don't change. Remember the question the disciples asked Jesus in the storm? Uh, let's look back at that. Look at Matthew chapter 8, <clears throat> verse 27. The men were amazed. This is after Jesus comes in the storm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, later... In chapter 14, Jesus calms another storm for the disciples while they're out in the sea. And um, it's one where he's not in the boat with them sleeping, but it's the one where he's walking on the water, and they see him walking on the water. And the response is different. This is is what they say about that. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. This is talking about Jesus and Peter climbing into the boat. The wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. So, where have they heard this before? If you go, if you work your way back in the Gospel of Matthew, there's another place where you hear these words as at Jesus' baptism. All the disciples weren't there for that. Um, where had they all heard this before? They'd heard it 
from the mouth of two demonized men. They heard it from demons. That's where they heard that Jesus is the Son of God. I don't think it's by accident that disciples ask what kind of man Jesus is. I didn't do this to blame anybody, by the way. <laughs> it's, maybe it's the demonic. <laughs> All right, so I don't think it's by accident that the disciples ask what kind of man Jesus is, and demons answer the question. Um, I think the Bible wants us to be aware of the fact that demons are very well informed. Uh, just think about this. The evil one and demons have been observing humans uh, down through the centuries since the dawn of creation. And I think it would be safe to say that they, from their watching us and listening to us, have more insights about us than all the philosophers and psychologists, social scientists combined. They're wicked smart. Um, it's also interesting that the demons are aware that a day of judgment is coming. Look at verse 29. What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? They know that they are going to be judged. They know that there's an appointed time for judgment. They know that Jesus is the judge. And they know their own destiny. They know they're on borrowed time. And that borrowed time is subject to God's sovereign will and his timing. So the evil one is real. He's wicked smart. Those are two reasons why we need to pray, deliver us from the evil one, why we need to pray it really from the center of our being, really believing we need to pray. We need God's help in this. Jesus said we need to pray this, not to just kind of go through an exercise, but because we really need it. We need, we need help. The third reason why we need to pray it is because the evil one is powerful. The evil one is powerful. Now, it's important to note that the evil one is not all-powerful, even though the evil one is a spiritual being. We've got to remember that. Only God is all-powerful. But spiritual evil, evil beings do seem to possess some power. The demonized men are empowered by the demons. That's what we, we read here. Look at verse 28. When he arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. All right, so there, there seems to be at least some kind of empowerment going on. But throughout the story of God, the power of evil is a, is a derived power. It's derived from our own consent. We yield power to the evil one. And he has to deceive us. He can't just, you know, we don't have to worry that he just come and just overpower us you know, with, with no defense or that he has that kind of power to just take someone, someone over or something like that. We have, to, we have to, in some sense, give him, yield power to him. And as scary as these two demonized guys are, and they're scary, I mean, people are afraid to go by there, um, enough to, like, terrorize a whole town to restrict their movement. Nobody goes into that area because of them. 
In spite of that, the power of the evil one over the whole town is even more insidious. And you might say it's, it's more impressive. The townspeople aren't raving mad. Yet the influence of the evil one over them is very real. You can see it in the fact that when they hear what Jesus did, okay, he delivered the men from demons, and how he delivered them from the terror of these men. They think about, we can now go back to this area. These guys have been restored. They hear that, and yet they reject Jesus and tell him to go away. As I said earlier, the townspeople's prayer is, do not, Jesus, do not deliver us from the evil one. It's like, we don't want you here. So when I say that we need to frequently, urgently, and desperately pray this prayer because the evil one is powerful, I'm referring primarily to his power to be able to influence us and deceive us through, well, really to influence through his deception. I think of that article that I've referred to many times uh, over the years about a guy who went out and studied atheists talking about their atheism from the past all the way into the present. And they give a lot of intellectual reasons why they don't believe in these, in these books. But he said pretty consistently at some point in, those, in their writing, they say something like, I don't want there to be a God. I don't just not believe in God because of all these reasons. I don't want there to be of God. It's like they're praying, do not, do not deliver us from the evil one. The same article, it talked about the lives of these writers, and it's, it's sad, and it's broken, and just pretty horrible, but they're like, no, we don't want to change our lives. We don't want to be told what to do. That's, that's an important theme in the whole Bible, and you see it, for instance, in Genesis 3, where the serpent, who is an embodiment of the evil one, or a way that the evil one is presenting himself, entices Adam and Eve to rebel by promising them that they can be like God because they can, they can, if they eat from this fruit, they can, they can determine for themselves what is right and, and wrong. And every single one of us, every human being, has continued in that same attitude. Every sin we commit is an act of rebellion. We act as if we are our own God, that we can determine what to do for ourselves. And this exorcism and other exorcisms in the Gospels aren't just about delivering certain individuals. They are about a bigger picture of delivering us from the evil one. They point us to what life in the kingdom will be, life under the rule and reign of God when the hidden realm of the heavens is once again on the earth. We'll, we'll come back to this theme more than once as we look through the Gospel of Matthew. But this is pointing to something beyond, something that we get to look forward to, something that's part of our hope we need to be praying now, though, to be delivered from the evil one. He's real, he's wicked smart, and he is powerful. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 6. We're going to close with this. It's on page 1177 in the Bibles in the seat rack. And we're going to just read what the rest of that passage, what we read, and, and then a little bit more. Because prayer, prayer is, is central. Jesus teaches us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. Prayer is going to be a central part in our battle with evil, but it's not it's not all we do. We also put on God's armor. We also ground our lives in God's word, in his truth. And um, I've also listed in the resource section uh, 
uh, some, some helpful resources that, uh, that you can turn to to get a little bit more prepared for, for this battle. But let's, let's read beginning in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all God's people. I want to invite you as we begin our time of response to take the bread and the cup. Let's remember what Jesus did for us that makes victory in this battle uh, possible and, um, and ultimate because of what Jesus did. The Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Scripture tells us that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on this earth as it is in the heavenly realm. We thank you, Father, that you provide for us in everything. And we thank you that you give us the strength. You deliver us from the evil one. Father, help us to be a, a people of prayer, that we are constantly coming to you dependent on you in the way that Jesus was dependent on you, Father. That we would seek you and seek your strength and that we would stand in your truth. That you would give us that insight and the strength that we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.